the late guy, uh, you'll remember that. Um, we're we're going to read again from God's Word. I haven't told Scott about this, but uh, it's a New Testament reading. We're, we're going to turn to the book of Revelation, um, and I encourage you to turn to it. We're going to be focusing on the book of Deuteronomy, um, but we're going to also read from Revelation 21. Um, you might be wondering at this stage, what has Revelation 21 got anything to do with the book of Deuteronomy? Um, but hopefully you'll understand that at the very, very end of uh, the sermon. Um, so, Revelation 21, we're going to read the opening four verses uh, as we find it in the book of Revelation 21. This is God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to us. Please do turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26. Um, I've got some, uh, hopefully, uh, I've got some uh, points on the screen before we begin, just, just to help us work through this. Now, I have two clickers here. Hopefully one of them will work. Probably not. That's all right. Can we get all the points on the screen? Or if they're not working, that's all right. I'll tell you the points. Um, it's a good thing for phones as well, you know. Right. So Deuteronomy 26. Keep this in mind as we work through it. So in verse 1, we have God's gracious purposes. In verse 2, we at the 4, we have remembering God's grace. In verse 5 to 9, we have confessing God's grace. And verse 10 to 11, leading to worship. So God's gracious purposes, verse 1, verse 2 to 4, remembering God's grace, verse 5 to 9, confessing God's grace, all of these things in verse 10 to 11 lead to worship. So come to God's word, let us join together in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and we give thanks to you, the Lord, the Almighty, for the harvest. And Lord, as we look to this passage from the book of Deuteronomy that speaks of the first fruits, that speaks of your gracious purposes, that, that, that calls about remembering your grace, confessing your grace, that leads to worship, we do ask that you may impact us through our hearts and our minds, and that we may leave this place knowing more of you. Heavenly Father, I pray that all that I say and do may bring you glory and honor, and that I may not add away from your word. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh yes, they're on the screen. Uh, Deuteronomy 26, 1-11. Well, well, today, what do we come to do? We come to give thanks to the Lord, the Lord Almighty for the harvest. But it's also an opportunity for us to intentionally reflect upon the Lord's goodness in every part of our lives, remembering who He is, how He's provided numerous blessings, too many to count. Let's remember the Lord that we come before this evening, the Lord that we worship is the one that makes the sun rise 
sends the rain. And as we think upon these things, we look together at this book of Deuteronomy that looks to a future time in the people of Israel's lives when after 40 years of time in the wilderness, they would finally inherit the promised land. They're hoping this inheritance was something that the Lord had promised long ago. Look at verse 1 where we read, When you come into the land, the Lord God is giving you for an inheritance and take possession of it and live there. They look expectantly, expectantly to what they are going to receive. You see, long ago in their history, a history that we're also familiar with, when the Lord called Abraham to go from his country, his people, and his father's household to the land that he would show him, they had been looking, looking forward. And this promise that was given to Abraham all those years before is about to be fulfilled. It's about to be fulfilled. And here Moses instructs the people how they are to live as God's covenantal people in the land that the Lord would give them. They were to live as God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing. The section we look at today forms only part of this teaching though. Right from the beginning of chapter 12 through to the end of 26, the Lord, through Moses, was teaching his people how they were to live in response to what he had done. And in this passage, chapter 26, it deals with the first fruits of the harvest. When these people had got the grips with the plow and the pitchfork, this is how they were to respond to the Lord's gracious purposes as they lived in the land. And verse 1 as Moses begins, reminds them of God's gracious purposes. You know, as 26 begins here, it teaches in the people of God how they were to offer the first fruits. But it reminds them once more firmly, remember who you were, remember where you've came from, as they look expectantly to this future hope of entering the land. Because this was in God's gracious purposes. It wasn't in their military paralysis. It wasn't in their skill with the sword that had brought this about. No, this was God. It was all of God. And this truth, how God had brought them to this place, how God would give them this land, should be the foundation for how they live as they entered the land, as they lived as his, his people in his place under his rule and blessing. This truth should have been the foundation. It should have been the motivation. It should have underpinned everything that they did because it was by God's grace alone. Saying that though, even though it should have been the foundation, it should have been their motivation as God's people, it should have underpinned it how they lived whenever they entered the land. We know that they failed miserably. These people had been shown God's amazing power through him bringing them out of the land of Egypt, how he'd sustained them day by day in the wilderness. They failed to respond to God and his grace. The Lord remained faithful to his people, even though they were faithless. But one of the reasons why these laws were given was to point these people to their need, to impress upon them their need a savior because they couldn't do it themselves and what they needed more than anything was God's grace Paul makes that point in Galatians chapter 3 
The law was to point them to their need of a savior and ultimately the need of a cross. But as Moses instructs the people here in her chapter 26, they looked expectantly with hope. They looked to the future. But here then in verse 2 to 4, Moses reminds them how they're to remember the great or God's grace. Remembering the grace of God. I imagine for many of you here tonight that you don't depend on agriculture for your livelihood. That you just like myself can look back to your childhoods though, or back one or two generations to those who did work the land. But there are others here who gather amongst us this evening, and you're dependent every day on the land that you farm for your livelihood. But the people of God here, as they look expectantly with hope into the promised lands, were not an agricultural people. They'd been enslaved in Egypt. They had been spending 40 years in the wilderness. And as Moses spoke to them, they were nomads. They were sojourners. And the Lord was providing their daily needs in the form of quail and manna. There were people who had lost any real idea or concept of the importance of harvest. They wouldn't have celebrated a harvest festival. Yet whenever they entered this land, after settling in it, after making it their home, when they got the grips with the plow and the pitchfork, they were to bring the first fruits of the ground, the wheat, the barley, the grapes, the figs, the olives, and the beets. This would have been an opportunity for them as the people and as individuals to reflect upon the goodness of the Lord and the cycle of life, remembering the Lord's amazing grace to them. For it was the Lord who would provide. It was the Lord in his grace that did provide. He was the one who gave them each and every new day. He was the one that made the sun shine and the rain fall. And bringing the first fruits of the land was an acknowledgement of God's gracious activity. For it was all in God's grace that they would inherit this land. It was all in God's grace that they would have a harvest. And the knowledge of this should impact how they live. And they will respond to him accordingly. This wasn't about paying off God or some kind of barter system that the people had arranged with the Lord, that they were paying some kind of mortgage that they'd taken out with God in exchange for the land or some kind of works-based system where they were, they were trying to earn God's favor. No, this was as individuals and a communal response Acknowledging the grace of God on their behalf. When they declared to the priest the truth of how the Lord had given them this land, it would have acted as a reminder to them. And as they recounted these things aloud, it would have moved them to the heart of God's unmerited favor. What they were doing through their actions and their words was recalling the redemptive purposes of God. All rooted grace. Effectively, as they bring the first fruits of the offering, they were saying, I am here because God has saved me and looks after me. As they continued, they, they were to confess God's grace. They were to confess the truth of what God had done and the truth of the grace that he had shown them in their salvation. For in these four verses, they worked their way through the time that they were sojourners, 
after they entered Egypt, how the Lord made them a populous people and how he redeemed them and brought them out of their slavery. It reminds them that by their grace, by God's grace, this is taking place. Each and every part of this passage is to focus the people's minds, to focus their hearts, to help them to realize that they are enjoying all of this, not because of what they have done or could have done, but because of God and His grace. They were slaves without a home to call their own. But now in the wilderness, they looked to the future inheritance that they would receive when God would give them a harvest. For the righteous among them, in giving the first fruits, it would have been a time of rejoicing, a time where their hearts were moved as they joined, delighting in the reality of what the Lord had done on their behalf. It was a collective remembrance it reinforced their identity as God's people and God's place under his rule and blessing. And this confession or creed here brought them to the knowledge once more that this was God. This was all God's work. Because they, just like us today, were fallen people living in a fallen world. They would have got blisters on their hands from the work that they'd done. They would have got sick, they would have still mourned for the loss of a loved one. But as they confessed the truth of who God is and what he had done, it would have been a reminder, a reminder of the amazing God whom they come before. It would have helped them in the midst of living in a broken world and acknowledge the abundant and amazing grace of the Lord. For this was all rooted in God's gracious purposes and should have led the people to worship him. The only right response from the people of the Lord was to come and acknowledge him in worship. This Lord who had brought salvation to them, the one who had given them an inheritance. See, these first fruits were only a portion of what they had that was stored in their barns and their sheds and their homes. They were a gift of God. They showed his unmerited favor towards them in the giving them the land of milk and honey. Lord had brought them from the wilderness, and he had given them and was going to give them this place. Every good gift that these people had came from him, and by his power and abundant grace, he was showing them more and more of who he was and is, and ever more shall be. But that's all right. We're not wandering in the wilderness, are we? So what can we take away from this passage of Scripture? What can we learn for us today? What do we learn of God? Well, we come to celebrate the harvest, don't we? We come to give thanks to the Lord for his provision. But the truth is, since the, the beginning of mechanization, of farming, of trade agreements between nations, as people move further and further away from the land and livelihoods that are reliant on it, when our children are just as likely to think that, that milk comes from Tesco in a carton rather than a cow, and where in all areas of life we can be so focused on our own self-sufficiency, on what we have done, what we have worked hard for, whenever we look to technology and science to give us all the answers, well, there's a need for all of us here 
to be reminded that we, just like the Israelites, are dependent on God for every single thing that we have. We're dependent on God in everything. For he's the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe. He's the one who holds it together in his hands by the power of his word. We're reliant on his providential care here this evening. He's the one who supports it, sustains it. He's the one that gives us each new day. He's the one that gives us each new breath. And the knowledge of this, the knowledge of this should lead us to rejoice. Rejoice in this Lord of the harvest. But what else do we learn? Well, look at the pattern here. It should lead us to rejoice, yes. But we also see a passage in this, or a, a pattern in this passage. Look with me to the confession that they give. They were a wandering, that wandering Aramean was my father. He went down from Egypt, sojourned there, few in number became a nation. Mighty, great, mighty populace. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, the Lord heard his voice, our voice, and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. We see a pattern here, a pattern of their slavery, of God's grace, and their response later on. Slavery, grace, response. It's repeated right through Scripture. This pattern, slavery, grace, response. Here the people are reminded that they were slaves in Egypt. They were shown the grace of God and that they have been redeemed. And they should respond rightly to God before as they entered the promised land. Slavery, grace, response. It's the same pattern for each and every one of us here tonight slavery grace response for we were all slaves to sin what followed that was the grace and the mercy of God what he has done through Jesus Christ that's been displayed to us as he has called us to us called us to him we are the recipients of his grace and mercy it should lead us to respond to respond in the only right way see the people of Israel they did not overthrow their own bondage, nor have we. For we, just like they, cannot free ourselves. But he has done it all on our behalf. And this, this truth should lead us to worship him tonight. For our primary purpose, for what he has called us to, is to glorify and enjoy him in every aspect of our lives, to give him the glory, the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, and giving him the glory, revealing who he is by our actions, our praise and worship. But what else do we learn from this? Well, we learn that theology matters. See, when we understand our sinfulness before God, when we understand who we are, and we respond Look at what happens here is the people are reminded again and again of who they were, of what they believed, of who God was. There's nothing that they could have done to save themselves. There's 
nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We are totally helpless, completely unable. We understand what Christ has done and how he's completely atoned for our sins, how he has made amends on our behalf, then we should respond. Respond full of joy, thankfulness. Our theology as reformed believers should lead us to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord of the harvest. Rejoice in the God of our salvation for who he is and all that he has done. And just like the Israelites, when we confess the truth of whom we come before should be filled with joy. See, it matters what we believe. It mattered what the Israelites believed. Theology matters. Because just as they brought their first fruits and they needed to be reminded what they believed in the midst of highs and lows of life, in the midst of the good and the bad, the midst of the hard and the easy, we too need to be reminded of those things. We need to know what we believe about this gracious God who loves us. We need to be sure and have a confident assurance in the Lord God who is and evermore shall be and who has brought salvation to us. What's going to help us in the midst of life's turmoil is not the courses of shine, Jesus, shine or fluffy nonsense that most people believe. Rather, it's knowing the reality of the Lord that whom we come before tonight. That's what will get us through. You see, this, this response that the people were to do as they brought their first fruits was to help them in the public place as they confessed who God was, but it was also to impact their hearts so that when their lives were falling apart, of their sin, because of their struggles, because of their trials, that they could have confidence assurance in their God. And we too need that confidence assurance. We also need to remember that as the people brought their first fruits, that we also need to give to God. You see, the standard this doesn't apply directly to us. We're not bringing our, our tithes of our first fruits. But in reality, what we are called to be as believers is to give God much greater. For he's redeemed us by the blood of Christ. Yet look at us. Many of us have bought into that lie that our consumeristic society tells us. We're so preoccupied by our things and, and the stuff that we have. Instead, we should be more preoccupied with our Lord and our God. We should live accordingly. We should be willing to give him all in all aspects of our life, responding to him rightly, responding to him in every way, every day. This passage also reminds us of the need for faithfulness. See, the teaching of God that was given through Moses here should be the foundation for how they live. Yeah, it should have been the foundation for how they live. It should have underpinned how they lived as they entered the promised land, but they failed. They failed to respond to the grace of God. But the Lord was reminding them through Moses that you need to live like this. Remember those words, slavery, grace, response? Their faithlessness resulted in 
disobedience and it ended once more in slavery. God showed his grace once more and they responded again. And it was a cycle that continued. Slavery, grace, response. It happened time and time again. But yet so often as the church, as we're called to faithfulness here, what happens is that we're more interested in, in looking to other people look into other churches instead of looking to the word of God and what he calls us to do. If we lived how we should, if we gave how we should of our entire lives, then we wouldn't feast on past glories in the church. When the church was full and whenever everybody came to harvest. But no, we need to look to the Lord God. Remember, he calls us to faithfulness. Remember his gracious Remember he is the God of grace. Confessing that he's the God of grace leads to worship. To finish with, I want us to think back to that second reading from Revelation chapter 21. Look back with me to that passage. You see, in verse 1 in Deuteronomy 26, the people were waiting and looking what would come in the future. They waited, awaited the fulfillment of what God was going to do in their lifetime when he gave them the inheritance of the promised land promised to Abraham. We're not going to be going to a promised land down the road. But tonight, we need to look with hope. Hope to that new heaven and the new earth need to, to not forget who we are in the Lord, that we've been delivered from the bondage of sin and death, and we've been given a pledge of greater things to come, of the new heaven and the new earth, and we read in verse 3 and 4 there, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In this life, as we live it, this should be our hope. As we come to the harvest, and as we celebrate, and we give thanks to the Lord of the harvest, as we live in the light of who he is, to remember his gracious purposes, the gift of his grace. We need to confess his grace together and to live a life that glorifies him. But evermore, looking forward to that great hope that we have at the end of this journey, when our life has come to an end, we go to dwell with him, our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we give you thanks for your gracious purposes. We remember your abundant and amazing grace that how, while we were still sinners in the bondage of slavery, that you redeemed us. You call us to respond, confessing the truth of who you are that should lead us all the more to live lives that glorify and honor you.
worship you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the harvest. Thank you for all that you have done. Help us to live our lives that are rightly oriented as we live in this now 